Welcome, welcome, guys. We are back for another episode of The Lock-In. Delighted to be back. Dara, I am joined, as always, by your good self. Great to be here again uh, on this uh, wonderful Sunday morning. Yes, it was, except it's going out on Monday, so we're definitely, it's definitely Monday. Sorry, sorry, I I forgot what day it was. It's definitely Monday. (laughs) And it is also my great pleasure to welcome our first two-time ever lock-in guest. Well, she's notched up seven appearances on the Chip Race, so seven plus two is nine. Next time she's on any Chip Race-related show, she gets a free coffee. I think that's only fair. Can Arnsby, welcome back. (laughs) Hello, lovely to be back. Well, it is March 8th. Dara, it's March 8th, right? It is March 8th, International Women's Day, and we will be talking a little bit about that and what poker is doing uh, on this fine occasion. But we're going to get to some more current news first. We're going to kind of talk about the the usual news and gossip of the week. First up, sponsorship. Dara O'Carney, you wrote a blog, a very excellent blog, as usual, um, where you spoke about sponsorship. I guess it was very topical or maybe it was in your mind because, of course, the entire Chip Race team just renewed their deals with Unibet, even Ian believe it or not. Um, so in case anyone out there hasn't read it yet, could you maybe give me the cliffs of that blog? Yeah, it was just kind of coming at it from a personal point of view, my my own history with sponsorship. I've been sponsored three different times in my career, almost right at the start, shortly thereafter, and then obviously the last uh, four years with Unibet. The, 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 the kind of industry view of what a, what a sponsor pro is has changed over that time. Uh, when I started, it was kind of like just somebody has a big tournament result and they get a lot of co- coverage because of that. And somebody sticks a patch on them and, that, and, and, and that's all they do. Um, so I just talk about how like the sites quickly realized that wasn't a particularly uh, effective marketing tool. And they moved away from that to sort of people who were seen as good ambassadors uh, in some way, you know, who would be good in interviews or who could talk. But really, the last few years have all been about content, the rise of the content creator. And actually, there was a period where, which also coincided with a period where I wasn't sponsored, where um, there wasn't much sponsorship at all. Um, And it kind of crept in, crept back in by people sort of taking on Twitch streamers, people people taking on bloggers, anybody who's creating content. And it's kind of moved away from just the idea now that, well, it's just a big name that will attract attention to the site, to it's somebody who sort of actually touches a particular demographic fairly deeply, either through a podcast or Twitch or a blog. And um, that's, that's, that's seen as more valuable than, you know, somebody who just everybody knows, but doesn't particularly care about. Um, so, so yeah, it was coming from that. And, and then I gave some advice to, because it, it, it is one of the questions I get asked most often, like young players coming up, they made a bit of a name for themselves and they go like, well, how would I go like in sponsored now? So um, it's, it's focused on advice. Like, you know, you need to be active on the social media. Uh, you need to be producing content of some sort. Um, you need to be prepared to give interviews and, 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 and just get your name out there rather than just like keep, keep notching up results. There, it's weird the player the player's mindset hasn't really moved on from the early days. A lot of players still think it's about how good how good they are at poker and how many tournaments they win, and and then the sponsorship is a sort of a consolation prize. That's really not the case anymore. And, and rather than keep having the same conversation with every young player who's coming up, I thought I'd write a blog about it. So, so it was all designed so you would save yourself a few like lengthy emails. I, 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 yeah, I also you you also notice that I jammed in there that I don't don't do staking anymore because the other thing I get asked most frequently <laughs> is usually nice little polite conversation. How are you? Oh, I'm a big fan. 
by the way, would you like to stake me? <laughs> Give me your money. Cat, <laughs> uh, your job is obviously marketing poker. How important are ambassadors and what qualities do you look for in them? Has Darren missed out on any points there? Um, no, I mean, I have uh, read Dara's blog um, and I think he covers it really well. Uh, in terms of looking for qualities for in ambassadors, my primary directive is a grafter. I mean, someone who's going to work hard. Um, you know, on average, ambassadors get paid more than than your average marketing monkey monkey like me per hour of work. So I expect Quite them to fill right. it. <laughs> Quite right, you. Um, yeah, well, we can have that debate another time, Lapin. But, um, you know, it's it, like like Dara said, the idea now that, that someone can just go and do what they were going to do anyway, which is sit in the poker room and play the poker and take the result and put that result in their bank account and then wear a patch and be like, well, now you can just give me X thousand a year for sitting here with your patch on. It doesn't really help me that much um, because I, there is an element of brand awareness uh, to do with that. But um, there's so many poker brands out there that, you really have to work quite hard for brand awareness to be the main thing you're looking for in an ambassador. So it's it's someone who will produce. Um, I mean, if, if Unibet didn't have you guys, I would have to recruit some junior marketing coordinators or social media marketing coordinators to do the work that you guys do. So grafters, that's what I need. So really, we should be paid the wage of that role that you just described as well. Well, I mean, what I've just said is I could probably get people to do it for a lot less. So careful. All right, so we won't talk careful. about that. Let's not talk about that then. It's, 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 <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on very quickly. I think, um, you, well, I think you've destroyed David's dreams as well. Because when, when, we, when we talk about this, I always say that, you know, we've been hard for our work, basically. And David says, well, that's, case, that's true in your case, but I've been hard for my looks. So Yeah, this is the, the moneymaker right here. Uh, <laughs> on a serious note, though, actually, just regarding that sort of notion of being patched up or whatever that means, how important are ambassadors specifically during this past year and probably, let's be honest, most of this year? Yeah, for Unibet, I, I think the ambassadors have been super useful um, because it for the live players, I mean, online players, they, you know, they're in the online sphere anyway, but live players may have made more of a move into social media, certainly um, the slightly older demographic who we like because they have more money than everybody else generally. Um, so I think um, faces that are known in the live world, such as you two ugly mugs that then are very active on social media at a time where, you know, half of Europe, most of Europe is trapped in their house. Invaluable, really, because it just created a bridge, like a, a softer transition point. And they, people will feel safer if they've never played online poker before. And now they don't have a choice because they can't go down the local and play their 10 pound rebuy that they've been playing. Um, then it's, it, I think it creates a sphere of trust. You know, they've seen you in the live world and now they can go and sit next to you on a digital table. That's yeah. That's very, very interesting point. I hadn't actually thought about that. Like most of the last year has been sort of live migrating to online. That's been the big thing, and online has actually been very heavily affected by the live uh, paradigm. Like we we talked on the show about how we, online has even moved toward to ape live uh, in the sense of like organizing big festivals and that sort of stuff. And I know from the players that I coach who were exclusively live and always told me I'd never play online. Well, guess what? They're playing online then, um, and. Uh, a lot of that, I think, has to do with sort of uh, renewed confidence, let's say, that it's that, that it's different and it's better. I mean, as luck would have it, just before the pandemic started, I actually wrote a blog called Why Live Players Should Play Online, Play More Online. And uh, at the time, a lot of live players said, yeah, I read the blog, but I still don't see myself playing online. But as I said, they're all playing online now. And I personally think that even when life comes back, there'll be some residual benefit. Um, 
it feels like the two worlds have moved a bit closer together again, which can only be good for online poker. It's a great point. Okay, we're going to move on to, I guess, what is the scandal, definitely goes into the gossip or scandal category uh, this week. Fedor Holtz versus Victor Malinowski, better known as Limitless. I'm going to give a bit of background to this one because it is sort of, uh, it's an interesting one in the context of what we spoke about last week, you and I, Dara. Um, we haven't talked about this specific one yet, but this is the latest heads up confrontation that uh, has been brewing, or at least they're pretending it's been brewing for a while. Uh, to give a bit of background, last August run at once played host to the Legend Showdown, a week of 5,100 heads up matches. Uh, Fedor was actually brought in as the value, I think, for that festival, because even though he's a total beast, Heads up is such a specific format. I guess they felt like they had to throw somebody in the mix there to encourage all the beasts out. Uh, but in fairness to Fedor, he's no slouch. He accrued over 100k in profit in his first matches, including wins against the eventual finalists, Filmsies and KRAB42, Kevin Rabichow. Uh, now, the Legend Showdown was originally billed as an eight player competition, but it did suffer a few last minute dropouts, including heads up specialists. Limitless Victor uh, Malinowski, who was at the time embroiled in a lot of 1K, 2K games over on GG Poker. When Rabichow won, Limitless went on Joe Ingram's podcast and called him out. And then while he was at it, he called out Fedor as well. He specifically said, I can offer also playing drunk. I can drink a full bottle of wine and I can play Fedor heads up at any stakes he wants. I'm not going to back off if he wants to accept no problem. Fedor basically ignored us. Then in September, I recall, there was a bit of doubling down from Limitless after Fedor won the WSOP heads-up bracelet. Anyway, cut to now, and the guys have agreed to play 1,600 hands, one tabling, 50-100. I got to say, I watched the first session. It didn't make for great TV. What did inject a bit of drama, though, and this ties into our conversation from last week, Dara, was Doug Polk, who was commentating alongside Mike Brady on the Upswing channel. He suggested... It was so bad that it must be staged, mostly referring to Limitless's play. So on the last episode, Dara, uh, we both agreed that embracing WWE sensibilities uh, was sort of what poker seemed to be doing from a marketing standpoint. Um, But did Fedor and Limitless take it to the next level (laughs) of what WWE does? Yeah, I don't really feel qualified to comment on that. First of all, I've watched, I think, two hands of the challenge. Um, so I, I can't even base. And even if I watch more, like I'm not a heads up specialist. All of the claims seem to be around, well, they're playing so bad. This can't be for real. Um, and it's not just Poke saying that. Uh, pretty much all the high stakes players I know uh, have said that to me um, privately as well. Some even before Poke made the suggestion. So this seems to be the general view, at least among them. Um, it's also interesting to me, there's a couple of things that are different between this and, say, the DNEX poke challenge. The DNEX poke challenge engaged the entire world. And, like, recreational players were asking me in advance, who do you think is going to win? They were asking me to comment on stuff um, as it was going. It definitely engaged that level of player. It had genuine mass appeal. I don't think this has, like not a single recreational player has mentioned this to me. The only people who seem to be engaged are high stakes players. And that's because they mostly want to see limitless as whole cards. Um, I do think the, the the one table aspect is a good idea. I think the biggest criticism a lot of people had of the poke DNX challenge was it's too, it's too fast to, um, too fast to follow. Two, t- two hands on, on, on two different tables and not being able to see the whole cards too like just didn't make for great viewing so I think they've improved the format but if it feels fake 
um, then you know people are not going to take it seriously and not be engaged. Well, in that last episode, Dara and I disagreed with one another. We were completely on opposite ends of this. I was obviously saying that I liked the wrestling style hype factor to the whole thing. I thought it was a decent way to market poker. And Dara took the exact opposite view. He was like, no, this is actually bad for poker. Um, I'm interested to know, Kat, did did this week's uh, shenanigans prove Dara completely right? Well, I mean, a little bit, I guess. I'm not a big fan of heads up poker generally. I don't understand what's going on. And and I'm not a big fan of watching high stakes beasts because I don't recognize the game that's in front of me. Um, But yeah, I mean, the the suggestion to have that levy that this is kind of um, a a setup, you know, is a piece of theater rather than a proper poker game is very detrimental potentially to poker. We, We can't have that image around a product that we want people to put their own hard earned money behind you know we have to because in most cases or in certainly every case where I'm involved in poker um, either as a player or I've been working it has had integrity and people are competing fairly and squarely and that's that's what sports and poker is you know it's a competition and I mean the the elements of the Polk and Negreanu um, matches that I saw that it was clearly competitive you know they I, I didn't really understand the hands they were playing but you could tell they both wanted to destroy the other um, and and that's what poker is if you don't don't want to destroy your opponent and take all their stack you're not playing poker so potentially very concerning um i don't i, I have to say i lean towards agreeing with dara i don't think marketing poker as a wwe type wrestling spectacle is a good idea because it's not the sort of person we want to play poker that's not the sort of person who's going to engage with a strategy game that has a lot of nitty details so it might have an initial spectacle splash and people go that was really funny but actually what percentage of those people are then going to stay deposit and start grinding yeah i have to say i thought i was being proved wrong in real time quite soon after (laughs) I had made the statement last week. Uh, let's get into it a little bit. And Dara, I'm keen to get you in on this because this is going to be your more area of expertise. Obviously, there were some weird hands. and I want to break down maybe a couple of them. One of them was a flop raise with seven, six off suit. He had the seven of hearts, six of clubs on jack of diamonds, jack of spades, three of diamonds. Um, Fedor Seabat, he actually had the queen jack, so he was pretty nutted here. And... Uh, you know, uh, Limitless decided the 7-6 was good for a raise and he emptied the clip fire in turn and River 2 got stacked for a 46k pot. That was probably the first time Polk was like, what the fuck is going on here? I thought he was bad. Now I think this might be just like a, a piece of theatrics. Uh, Dara, what do you make of a hand like that when you see it? Obviously, it's not GTO. It's not GTO. And actually, as luck would have, first of all, this is one of the two hands I've seen. And secondly, this is one of the very rare hands I feel qualified to uh, comment on because I have studied paired boards a lot. And, you know, the fact that it's head up doesn't change it that much. It just means the ranges are wider. But, you know, it's not that different from small blind versus big blind. And it's absolutely the case that, like, that's just not not something that happens. You don't raise that hand. You have lots of uh, backdrop flush draw hands that, 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 that function much better. If you, It's hard to find bluffs on paired boards, but you, can, you, you generally look for hands that have um, double backdoors. So that can hit a backdoor straight or a backdoor flush draw. When you when you don't have the backdoor flush draw, you just don't use the hand. It doesn't have enough value. You don't have as many. You won't make a strong hand by the river often enough, and you don't have as many turn cards you can barrel. So that's that's a that's a real head scratcher for sure. Um, and um, I saw the clip where Doug said this is literally day one uh, learning when you when you move to heads up, and I and I do believe that. I mean. That that is so basic that even I know it, and uh, I'm, I'm 
I'm not a heads up specialist. There was another hand where Limitless folded uh, Ace of Spades, Nine of Diamonds on a board of Ace of Diamonds, King of Diamonds, Two of Clubs, Five of Hearts after Holtz, Bet, Flop and Turn. Obviously, again, in a heads up format, a decent Ace. Like Ace Nine is not a raggy Ace. It's kind of an in-betweeny Ace. The idea of folding that on the term seems kind of wild. Dara, what did you make of that one? Or did you see that one? Um, yeah, that made no sense as well. Like top pair is such a huge hand, uh, heads up. It's, it's almost equivalent to a set. Um, uh, the, 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 the low kicker, okay, makes it a little bit more marginal, but still like there's no way you can fold that hand. If you're folding that hand, you're just folding almost all the time. Uh, so, and, and again, like that's something even I know, and I, it's one of the things you have to drum into the heads of recreational players when you're talking about heads up or any wide range situation versus wide range, like top pair is just a nuts. You just, you're going broke with it um, most of the time. You're calling three streets, let alone two. Yeah, exactly. And I think Doug was sort of on commentary going, oh, Fedor's got the perfect hand to triple off here as a bluff, the 10 jack. It had the good blockers to two pairs. So he's just going to probably empty the clip and, Lim- and Limitless is just going to hit the call button twice. And then he folded. And I think Doug kind of did a double take and went, uh, yeah, this is definitely staged now. Now, this is definitely dodgy. So that was sort of, you know, an intro. But, but, but I suppose I was trying to look beyond it. And, and obviously, I didn't want to entertain the notion that maybe we weren't watching something genuine. I knew people who had a lot of money riding on this match. And I certainly know they would be supremely pissed off and probably have a very good legal action uh, had anything been untoward. And I certainly don't think either of these two guys is doing that. So then you started going, well, why is Limitless playing this badly? And he'd had a glass of wine or a couple of glasses of wine and a cigar. It's not really, you know, no one's going to be so tipsy or you know off their off their being on that amount of uh, intoxications to to, to to make bad decisions of this level so it was like could this possibly be cheap advertisement if he's playing 1k 2k games dara and he's now jumping in a hundred ga- 50 100 game with fedor who maybe he doesn't even think is that tough so maybe he'll make back equity in other places maybe i'll just advertise being a, a loose crazy monkey maniac here and that might actually get me some future action yeah, that's that's definitely a plausible motivation. Um, like a lot of players worry about their image, and they you know they go on TV and they don't want to uh, to, to, to look bad, um, so they try they they try and play very well. But then other players take the attitude that if they're trying to drum up action in the future, if they go on and play like an absolute monkey, then they're much more likely to get uh, invited into into games where people don't want to play against a GTO crusher. So there could be a bit of that. I mean, back in my days, I've I've said before on the show that the first game I ever played for money online was actually not poker; it was backgammon. And um, I used to exploit the system by playing at the high stakes. Then your rating would rise as you win more and more games. But if but if I jumped into a 50 cent game against um, somebody who wasn't very good, had a very low rating and lost, my rating would tumble back down. And so it, it made me look artificially weaker than I was. Um, <clears throat> there, there could be a bit of that. Uh, definitely if, if, if the game is staged, so in other words, they're not actually playing for anything, there's two aspects to that. First of all, they're humans. They won't be as engaged. They won't be t- taking it as seriously. So they might be just doing stuff because why not? It, it, it doesn't mean anything. But but the second thing is if there's nothing on the line, then there's no incentive to play well. And in fact, there may be an incentive to play badly. Interesting. So, well, I do want to bring you in on this one, Kat. And I suppose maybe speaking about scandals in general, obviously we had the possible allegations in 2019. We had the Federal Cruise Dream Machine story last year. I'm certainly not saying that, you know, these lads did anything untoward, but given the amount of money that's been wagered on these games, as I said, I spoke to some pros, actually one of them had a 50K bet on this session alone. So like 
more at stake for them than the guys playing possibly you know given that the swings might necessarily even be that big in a game of this nature people do need to be really careful and take a close look at these heads up games uh, dara made the, the the great irish um line to me about how you know you shouldn't make a bet on something where the horses can talk i thought that was a great way of describing this one cat how would you feel about th- these games and i suppose looking into the future with a lot of these heads ups being built and set up you know should people be a bit wary it's, I mean, that's really hard for me to say because we're stepping into a sports betting arena now. I mean, if you if you want me to to oversee the integrity of a poker game, I can do it to an extent, you know. <laughs> but I mean, if someone's betting on the outcome of an event, that that is sports betting, and I, I'm really not sure what to say to people who want to bet on a, on a sports event. And I have heard in the past there's been a drive against um, breaches of integrity in terms of football matches. Um, so I do know that sports books are, are aware of the concept of it. I think what worries me more about poker is that the level of expertise required to decide whether this was a fix is super, super high. Um, and we've seen that before. I think we saw an element of that in the postal case. I mean, if you if you take that to any kind of tribunal or judge and say, look, you know, goddamn, he, he check raised seven high or with no flush or, flush or straight back doors, the judge is just going to be like, what you know people don't understand the evidence so it is it's really difficult for me to say I mean I personally don't sports bet at all and that includes on on the outcome of poker matches you know for me I'd I'd rather just play the poker game um I think it's fair to say people should be careful with any type of bet that they take make sure you're always betting with a reputable company um make sure you 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 personally feel confident that the outcome is not in any way fixed um, and keep, keep your eye on the game um, because it, it, they're always open to abuse. I don't think, I don't think poker is particularly unique in that way. I think football matches can be rigged. Any, any sporting um, event surely can be rigged where the other competitors say, Hey, we stand to make more money here by um, throwing these bets than we do by winning the race or, or winning the poker game. So it's a, it's a very, very gray area. Um, and I think for, for a good answer, you need somebody who's a bit more of a sports betting expert to, to say how that could be combated in the long term. Fair enough. One final point maybe for you, Dara. Um, like, has Doug actually done something very dangerous here? Like, he's dealing with circumstantial evidence. He's a man of heads-up prowess who can, uh, you know, as Kat said, really deconstruct the, the, the sort of the anti-GTO aspect of a hand. And then, you know, he he, he makes that the basis of his scepticism when in reality, you know, Good players, great players even make mistakes, do silly things, maybe the advertising thing that I mentioned or, or, or whatever could be the, the other X factors involved here. It is kind of dangerous to sort of throw out that accusation in the way that he did. And, you know, I know I'm following that story. I think it's it's really interesting that he's done that. And I think you have to kind of talk about it now. But it's going to drive the narrative, one would think, for the next couple of days until they play again. That, you know, is something dodgy happening here? And that's sort of a dangerous thing to do when you're talking about two players' integrities. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think Doug has a has a track record or brand or whatever you want to call it in poker of shooting from the hip and saying exactly what he's thinking. Uh, he's he, he's really not very filtered on this stuff. Um, one thing you learn as you sort of move from being an unknown poker player into the public eye is you do have to be careful what you say. Uh, like there's stuff which is obvious and like you know we we all know, but we still can't say in public um, because uh, there's different levels of, of proof required particularly if you're impugning somebody. Um, and, you know, I mean, 
we've watched, you and I have watched situations too, David, where we kind of know there must be something dodgy going on. And we'll, we'll, we'll say it among ourselves, we'll say it to our friends, but like we're not going to write a blog about it or, or, or broadcast it because it is an accusation and you would have to stand over that possibly in court of law. We've seen, we've seen possibly t- take the legal route, for example. So, yeah, in, in Doug's defense, I would say that, again, go back to the point, pretty much every high stakes player I know has said the same things to me privately, but they've said it privately. Um, Doug is the one breaking breaking cover here. Um, so, on the other hand, I do certain, feel a certain amount of sympathy for him because if it does turn out that this thing is staged, I think the public probably has a right to know that. Um, uh, and Doug is maybe taking some personal risk on himself uh, to, to, to you know to tell the truth, um, but. Uh, yeah, he's he's definitely this is a this is a high variance line he's taking. Yeah, I do think he's put himself in the crosshairs, and I suppose we will watch that develop and unfold over the next week or so. I'm sure we'll maybe know more by the next episode. Anyway, to International Women's Day today, of course, definitely today, definitely Monday, not tomorrow, and we're recording this early. Um, first up, Kat, on a general point, I know you don't believe we will see a significant and fast increase in the number of female poker players in the short term, and I'm interested to know why. Well, I mean, it's it's a subject I'm never super comfortable talking about because um, my my views generally do not um, align with many other female players' views. Um, but I, I think there's a huge amount of reasons. Um, the the one that really sticks out the most for me is emotional engagement. So for someone um, either to work as a pro poker player or to enjoy poker as their their leisure time, they need to be emotionally rewarded for it. They need to enjoy that experience at some level. Um, And I think the requirement of poker to want to crush your opponent um, really cuts out um, a huge part of the population, the most agreeable members of our population who in the majority are women. Now, not all. But women generally rank higher in the personality trait of agreeableness Um, and agreeableness doesn't mix well with poker. If you feel bad when you take the other guy's money and you're like, oh, dude, sorry, let me give you a bit back. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to enjoy the experience of playing because you feel bad and, you know, it's just not going to be for you. So I think that's a major, major blocker for a lot of men but a lot of women. And because statistically women do rank higher in that personality trait that's so adverse um, in the poker world, it makes it very hard to recruit women. Even if they try it once, well, I had a nice night, you know, it was all right, but I wouldn't do that again. Um, so that I think that's the major one that always sticks out. Um, another one is that adult women uh, currently generally are not as good at maths. Now that's not to say a, an individual woman cannot be as good as maths. And male and female children very early on, they show the same capability for maths. There doesn't seem to be any biological reason why men and women or or female and male children show any difference. However, the world rewards little boys and little girls very differently. Um, And we culture little boys and little girls very, very differently. And little boys are often more rewarded for academic prowess and mathematical prowess um, using technology in a way that women just aren't. So that emotional engagement is cultured very, very young. I mean, it's not it sounds awful, but it works the same way against boys. Boys are not so often emotionally rewarded for being kind and caring and sweet and, and little girls are. So obviously, as a child. 
if you are given validation for one type of behavior, you are going to seek to repeat that emotional validation. So by the time we're adults, there is um, a, 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 not a huge difference at the mean between adult men and adult women at maths. But when you start to push out to the ends of the distribution, the 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 humans who are best at maths are generally men with a few women spattered in. I do want to make it clear. I'm not saying that being born with a vagina means you can't do maths or you can't enjoy maths. It just means that statistically, by the time you're an adult woman, you're less likely to be enjoying maths as a job or a hobby. It's why we see such a low turnout of women in STEM subjects um, from university upwards. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And actually, that's something that we talked about this with, with the recent female guest. It's something um, my, my lovely wife, Marae, impressed on me very early that we're not going to do the thing of praising the girl for how she looks and being agreeable and praising the boy for his accomplishments. Um, sometimes I feel we may have gone a bit too far the other way, but the, but it, but the way it has manifested itself is that like our oldest son is definitely the, 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 the kindest, gentlest person in the family. And our daughter is somebody everybody is scared of. And <laughs> she's also the best at poker of, of, of our three kids. So I completely buy that it, that, that it is social conditioning. Um, it is unfortunate that, that it manifests itself in the poker world with such female underrepresentation. Um, again, I'm always beating the drum. The difference between the running world and the poker world is in the running world, there are far more women and men and women interact much better than, than, than in the poker world. Um, it's also interesting to me, sometimes people use the argument, well, women are risk averse and therefore they don't like to gamble. I'm not sure that that stands up because when you look at the world of backgammon, women do much better in the world of backgammon. Three of the last six world champions, I believe, uh, are female. They compete on an equal level with men and um, much more so than in poker. So I don't completely buy that argument. I do think there's also a uh, a thing in the industry where the industry, the, the incentives are a little bit misaligned for, for, for women. Uh, a, a, a certain type of sort of like agreeable, friendly, you know, attractive female can get sponsored irrespective of, um, you know, they're the major qualities that say that the sites seem to look for uh, rather than males. So males are incentivized very much. First of all, they get very good at poker, so they win a lot of money. And secondly, if they do want to get sponsored to do all the stuff that I talked about in my recent blog, incentives seem slightly different for females. So given that the industry is rewarding different female behavior, it's probably not surprising then that we don't, uh, that, that we see a difference. Well, I mean, surely a woman before she's sponsored is playing poker already, right? There's, I mean, I, don't, I can't think of an example where someone has literally been plucked off the street and gone, you're pretty. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, of course. But like, for example, there, there, there are women sp sponsored who, you know, hadn't, have not won a tournament. Uh, there, and, and, and were almost unknown at the time that they got the sponsorship. Um, that doesn't really happen on the male side. Uh, the, the, the males sort of have to make a bigger mark uh, in, in the poker world. Um, that's, uh, I think, I mean, I talked about this in my blog. It's one of the few areas where it's actually an advantage to be a, a woman. The, 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 the bar of entry to sponsorship seems to be lower uh, in some ways, but, it, but then obviously it's, it, it's tougher in other ways. Um, so, uh, like, it would be very unusual, let's say, for an almost exclusively recreational male who has just played relatively low life tournaments and doesn't play online to get sponsored. Yet we see females of that category uh, getting sponsored all the time. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a problem across all industries that market to men. 
to be mm. fair. And I think it's very distinct, Dara, from women entering poker as players. I don't think anyone plays their first game of poker thinking one day I'll get a sponsorship if I just play a few rec tournaments. So, I mean, even if the, and I'm not denying what you're saying um, about, you know, an attractive female being more likely sponsorship candidate, but in theory, that doesn't change the fact that that could be from a 50-50 pool, that the the brands are still pulling 80% hot female um, representatives from a 50-50 pool. They're not. So the, the barrier to entry, I think, is different. It's a different argument from the barrier to the next step of sponsorship. And I don't disagree with your point, but it doesn't sure. explain why women are not playing that first game and, yeah, and coming but, into that rec field. Yeah. I mean, the thing I wonder about is like the female role model. Um, like a lot of males come into the game, this, you know, they see a, a, a guy who's an online crusher, for example, and say, I want to be him. Um, and that's the male thing. On the female side, I'm not sure. Like, Historically, when they've looked at female role models, it's tended to be, oh yeah, she's got a sponsorship deal, but you know she has, she doesn't particularly have a great track record in poker. Now that has thankfully changed over the years, and you do have absolute crushers like Chrissy Bicknell now that women can look to. Um, I'm 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 just not sure what what uh, how big a factor that is um, having a female role model. You know, maybe maybe a role model doesn't even have to be female. Uh, I've heard females say that they start to play because they. They like Daniel Negreanu or they uh, so, somebody else, and, and and that's who they want to do. It, it it might not be on strict gender grounds. Yeah, I would agree. You you have to show um to enjoy poker. You need to show consistently, and it will have started young. A higher percentage of of what is classed as masculine traits, um, and and that's way before anyone's heard of poker that they are expressing those personality types. I know many women who I've met through poker who have absolutely no problem identifying with a male character in a show. You know, they they're not they're not interested in the shape of that person's genitals. They're interested in their qualities. Um, so I, I do think it lands a little bit back in that even if a certain type of woman who is not driven by competition, who's not driven by crushing the opponent and, and taking all that money and feeling the victory, even a female ambassador isn't going to pull them in. Well, Kat, you do think that representation will increase in the long term. Obviously, we talked about the short term there and, and, and your views, but you think they'll increase in the, the long term, irrespective of any action taken by the poker industry specifically. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, to me, the, the world is is changing and it's it's not quick. And I, I don't expect in my lifetime to see um, a 50-50 gender parity across all fields in any respect. But I mean, if we look just now, if we look at the um, cultural identities that are coming through from Generation Z, there is much more non-binary. There's much more gender fluidity. Um, and it just shows that this, this gender split polarization of genders is slowly eroding. And it, like I say, I don't think it's something I see in my lifetime, but I do think the world's going in a in a better direction in that respect and that will impact all areas we will see more female engineers more female statisticians more female poker players um hopefully we'll see more of female base sports in general moving up the the ladder of interest or maybe even finally getting rid of of split gendered sports and and having an open competitive field who knows? Uh, like I say, it's not it's not tomorrow. Um, but I do see a massive change. If we look back to the last generation, for example, uh, even for my generation in the workplace, there's way more women in, in higher roles, senior management, C-level than when, than when my mum was my age and working in her office. So it's going that way. And, and it's just a natural move. It's not a natural move. People have pushed it, but it, it is the direction we're heading. 
Absolutely. Well, I read an article just the other day, Dara, I know you read this one too by Jennifer Newell. Um, In it, she says, I want to get the quote right here. The poker industry, like so many others, has a long road to travel to even address gender equality, much less treat women with the respect and credit they deserve. Baby steps in the poker world would have amplified women's voices. But these projects and promotions are still widely regarded as side notes. When poker is ready to have real discussions about real change, substantive, important and long overdue change, there are many women who are standing by to engage. They've been speaking about sexism and misogyny at the poker tables for decades. Dara, baby steps is a nice way to put it. Lip service would be another. Yeah, indeed. Um, I mean, this debate comes up this time of year every year. Um, what what we can do more to get women in the game. To be honest, it's something that should be happening all year rather than just now. Um, and I think, <clears throat> I think, I mean, I don't want to throw shots. I mean, we don't necessarily know what other companies are doing. Uh, we do, we, we, we do know what Unibet are doing. And a lot of it is really good work behind the scenes. Um, it's not the kind of stuff that they're, uh, that's necessarily getting much articles written about it. And, um, but it's but 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 it's but it's actually genuinely more impactful than just putting on a tournament and saying this is the women's tournament and we're going to give some additional money to charity. Um, so it's a difficult one. Like in, in like just putting on a tournament and saying this is the ladies' tournament that seems like the the the, the, the lowest of lowest hanging fruits. Um, uh, and you know, really low hanging fruit ends up as manure in the end. Um, so it's. Um, yeah, I think this needs to be looked at more deeply, let's say, than just make a splash, put out a few posters and say, we're running a tournament. Let's we're putting on a tournament. Yeah, and, and I do think that there is a, and I, and I get this as well, you, you've hit the nail in the head, there's a, there's a performative aspect to International Women's Day and we're going along with that performance at some level right now. But, you know, with that in mind, I suppose I, I do want to at least give the sort of the the props to the, the some of the organizations that are out there doing good work I, I did a little bit of homework on this one the women's poker association has obviously been around for a long time advocating for women in poker they recently launched raise it up campaign to inspire formal conversations within the poker industry to elevate the game of poker uh, poker power is a group started by canadian pro joanne Liu that works in tandem with the wpa with the aim to highlight women's successes in poker and beyond i actually spoke to joanne just ahead of this episode she promises by the way to come on a future episode of the chip race but she couldn't make it today uh, and she told me how poker power do what all the things that it does to sort of promote um you know women in not just poker scenarios but kind of in the workplace in general there's a there's a real sort of corporate workshop vibe to what they're doing that uh, incorporates a teaching component and focuses on sort of practical overlaps between poker and you know real world stuff or real job stuff if, if it's okay to put it in that sense and um, there is also of course the fantastic ladies in poker flip facebook group which we covered extensively actually in a recent show diva and donna have built up that group for three years and the group are currently partnered by gg they have organized one of those uh possibly low-hanging fruit tournaments you referred to, Dara, the 10K guarantee uh, that's going to be, uh, I think, today, again, today being International Women's Day. Um, uh, fair play to them on that. But, uh, and this sort of is what Jen Newell also said in her article, she was critical sort of saying, well, it doesn't swing great with the when you still have this Bilzerian sort of shadow hanging over you. The fact that Gigi have barely mentioned Diva and Flip's partnership is is problematical too and 
also quite rightly i think as well there was a sort of a pattern patronizing use of the phrase a women's charity and that's what the the, the, the money's going to and yeah I, I kind of i could understand where she was coming from on that in response to jen's article the flip group tweeted hi interesting article jen it would be more balanced if you mentioned the other sites who are doing nothing at all i think what gg is doing rates more than sort of jen had sort of maybe qualified her compliments of gg um seems in your eyes whatever we do won't be enough i have to say i completely agree with jen on this one the, the, the tournament stuff is sort of bollocks to be honest and basically signal virtue lip service with no meaningful long-lasting effect at all um diva or at least i assume it was diva obviously wrote that and um I, I suppose I felt compelled to do some digging because she sort of fired out shots there, Diva did, on the other side. She sort of said, the other sites aren't doing anything. And when I said that to Diva, she sort of came back at me and said, oh, no, I was referring to doing something special for International Women's Day. But Diva did an interview with Jason Glatzer for Poker News a week ago, one week ago almost to the day. And in that interview, she did fire out shots at other sites, not doing anything in a general sense. I can absolutely furnish people with that um, audio quote, or you can listen to yourself if you want to watch the show. So we're obviously, you know, former colleagues of Diva. We've known Diva for a long time and we would support what she is trying to accomplish maybe in her goals in GG. She's trying to work from the inside. It's going to be challenging, but this isn't for me helpful at all. I found this a little bit fucking annoying, to be honest, because she worked with Unibet for many years. In fact, she was with Unibet when they actually put into action some real substantive programs that they continue to support today. And I want to give a few of these uh, a, a sort of a shout out. Sorry, I'm conscious I'm not letting the, you both in here. I'm getting this off my chest a bit. Um, <laughs> you probably know about a lot of this stuff already, uh, but Unibet have invested serious money, and I mean chunks of money over the years, on a consistent basis into diversity training through the recruitment process. They have for many years been donating to charities with the specific aim of developing female interest in STEM subjects. Unibet was one of the first companies to join the All In Diversity Project in 2017 when Diva was an ambassador there to create tools for the global industry in order to progress in terms of diversity, inclusion and workplace equality. They created this lovely index called the the, uh, the All Index, uh, which is now the definitive benchmarking tool for the gambling industry to measure progress towards inclusion in the workplace. So you can actually judge how companies are doing in the gambling sphere on their diversity inclusion stuff. Um, so that, I think that's really good. It sort of like clears out the bullshit, if you like. Um, also for balance, I've got to say, I, uh, I, I know that Rebecca McAdam leads many fantastic diversity programs uh, at STARS. And with them, there is a really big focus on regular and recurring inclusion, diversity and belonging talks in training. So their staff are basically immersed in this stuff all year round. It's not a one time a year kind of thing. It's actually a really sort of a constant you know, movement within the company. It, it, it's, it's, it's not lip service. It's the, the very definition. It's the, as Dara described, it's, it's the stuff that doesn't get written about it, but that's going on all the time. So with that mind, Kat, what do you think is better? A one-off charity event or all of this sort of um, systemic change at a corporate level is a softball. Well, I mean, I, I can't be a fan of just, just going well international women's day is a now a power brand so we will just um 
purple over our marketing, stick the IWD logo on there and off we go and look at us. You know, I think we saw a lot of that um, through in the height of the, the BLM riots that, you know, all these companies were changing their social media logos to the fist. And yet actually no initiatives were happening. They were just like, oh, we're part of this. Yeah. You know, we want to be on the right side of things. Um, so I'm not saying, um, obviously, I mean, it's a no brainer for me that a decent company has a diversity program to help us all address our biases. And that's all of us. That's men and women alike. It's not just men who have cultural bias in terms of misogyny. Um, it, it's women as well, because we're raised in the same culture. So it's about all of us having that training and learning and understanding. And it was actually during part of my diversity training with Unibet that makes me think twice this year about running something for IWD. because. While I don't object to doing a one-off explosion event for it, it needs to be uh, in line with the IWD uh, mentality. Now, unfortunately, um, the, the GG campaign has completely, I don't think anyone's been on the IWD website. I mean, it's fantastic. You go on there and they literally teach you how to build a campaign. They give you all the information that they want you to use if you're going to use the IWD branding. Um, and they have a particular hashtag. So each year, IWD themes the drive. The, the theme this year is choose to challenge. Um, and it, that's the hashtag they want everyone to use. And I haven't seen it once from during the GG campaign. Or, or actually any other site. Um, the only t if you go on the um, hashtag right now, uh, there's actually a craft beer somewhere, a craft beer merchant somewhere in the um, US who's dominating that hashtag because they've created some digital campaign around it. Um, you are, according to the IWD website, if you want to take part, there's kind of things you should be doing. You should be picking an identity. You, you pick a subject that you want to focus on, a group of women, an area that you really want to promote. And all of that is missing in the campaign and unfortunately it does undermine any any feedback from gg where they might say no no it's, it's not lip service we you know we really have a heart behind this because if you can't even have a quick glance at the website doesn't necessarily suggest that you are fully engaged with it um it's great that they're going to donate 10k to charity but which one i mean again go on the iwd website there's um five or six charities that they nominate as as their target charities if you want to make a donation so you know it's part of the reason i didn't want to to do anything for it because I just didn't have the time to commit to make it worthwhile and, and really do something that that makes change in that environment. Um, Jen said in her article, you know, there's there's not many women in, in the management decision making processes in poker and I'm one of them, you know, I could have made that decision to do that. Um, and I actively decided not to because I couldn't um, give over the right time and resources to it to make it anything other than lip service. And I just won't do that. You know, it's not right. There, there are some brands that I'm quite happy to just tie up with and say, hey, we, you know, we're, we're brands that work together. Let's support each other and we could, you get yours and I get mine. But, but IWD is not one of those brands. I don't think it's appropriate. You either do it properly or you don't do it at all for me. Um, and that's why there isn't an International Women's Day tournament on Unibet, because I will not do lip service to something that's so serious and important. And how important, I suppose, Dara, maybe, is it like if your corporate environment has already undergone a, a sort of an overhaul along these lines. You know, Kaz described to me diversity training. In fact, there's diversity training coming up next week. We can go to a talk on, on this. Kat, you told me about it. It's on uh, women and ethnic minorities. Uh, hoping, very much looking forward to, to going to that on Wednesday, by the way. But, you know, with that in mind, when those kind of things are there and an option for you, 
then your your company's already doing the right stuff 365 days a year. So how important is it to sort of fetishize one day a year? I mean, I think it's really not important at all from from a policy or actually getting stuff done view. It's but 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 you know, optics are different. Um, people people suddenly start thinking about women on International Women's Day, and if they see the other sites are all all appear to be making a splash, and we're doing nothing, then they might think uh, you know they're, they're not aware of the other stuff. Unfortunately, um, it's I mean, it's the same in every area. Like a lot of um, you know, you can take a very uh, sort of um, rootless view of like, well, let's just look good on the day and then go back to doing what we did before, um, which I think is what a lot of uh, what a lights what, what a lot of sites do. Um, I mean, I guess the job is for us to maybe talk more about the stuff that we do. Um, I think the idea of like having a special International Women's Day thing is far less important. Uh, you know, we on the chip race, for example, we have always made it a priority to overrepresent females relative to what uh, how big a part they are of the poker world. And we do that all year round. Um, now, I, I really, I realize the irony of saying that on this special International Women's Day show where we brought on a female guest, but you know, <laughs> Cat's been on the show before. We don't just uh, trot her out every year on International Women's Day. And um, we've had other female guests as well. So I do think it's, I would ask people, just look at what, you know, any particular brand or podcast or anything like is doing all year round, rather than just if they if they make a big splash and say how great they are on International Women's Day. Or if they are doing a one-off event, how much have they put behind that? And I mean, not just money, because, we, you know, okay, a 10K donation, I'm not belittling it. However, 10K out of GG coffers, I mean... It isn't gonna. It's not gonna cause anyone okay hardship. To little that. I think you it's know? okay to get a little ten k from a big poker site and all the money they make on a Sunday. I think yeah. that's all right. Yeah, I mean, I could have easily gone to my boss and said, "Can we give a ten k donation?" You know, and just just throw it in, and he probably would have been okay with it. Um, but it, it's about what. Where's that ten k going? What What do we mean? What's what's the belief and ambition behind that donation? Because that's the difference. It's better to change minds than just donate money. Where, where's the, the soul of it? What, what's behind that that says, do you know what? I really, I've got a real passion for seeing women in STEM subjects. I've got a real passion for women's sports. I've got a real passion for um, ending female genital mutilation. You know, put it to, put a name to it, put a drive behind it. Um, and, and I think that that is missed. I, I don't see that too much. I've seen a little bit in the chess world, actually. Um, the, uh, there's um, a podcast, uh, might be chess.com, that um, released and they had all the right branding. They had the, the choose to challenge hashtag. They said the charity they're donating to. And, and, and that shows that there, there is thought behind it, belief care not just how can we have the right optics um and and that might be the difference of having more women in marketing everything that generally we're a little bit less concerned about the optics and a little bit more concerned about the heart and soul to try to be sort of optimistic or generous maybe uh, in conclusion on this segment i, I do want to say like obviously the company we work for and many of the other gaming companies have been around a long time. They're, they've been in a position, they've probably gone through many, many sort of evolutions and they made these decisions five, six, seven years ago to go on this path to have a much more inclusive, diverse sort of workforce within it. 
policy towards recruitment and everything else. Gigi is a relative newcomer and maybe they're needing to kind of like kickstart themselves and maybe an opportunity like International Women's Day for visibility and an opportunity to sort of kickstart something meaningful can come out of this for them. And if they did something like that, if Diva follows through now with some actual initiatives and initiatives aren't promotions, initiatives aren't like, here's a free roll for all the girls. That's nonsense, to be honest. Like, it's fine. You want to welcome people in. Absolutely, that has its place. But it's gimmicky unless it's followed up with something more um, substantive. So maybe, just maybe, this is the beginning of them taking it more seriously and embedding it into their culture. Let's hope so, because then we could sort of say, well, you know what, Diva taking this role on, challenging role, difficult, awkward time with the Bilzerian stuff, like, I don't envy that role, envy that job whatsoever. I think she's sort of put herself into a very uh, delicate, dangerous little spot there. But if she can pull it off, if she can actually change hearts and minds within that company and make them go on a real track towards improving this stuff, then she'll have fucking proved us all wrong. Mm. And then I, I would look forward to being the first person to say, well done on that. But a good step might be learn the hashtag. And, <laughs> you know, so maybe, come on, like, book if- up. If anyone can do it, it's Diver, right? And I mean, I have no doubt in my mind about Diver's integrity in terms of the women in poker issue. But we we have to be careful of just saying because someone's a woman and they have a passion in their own sphere of the world for um, encouraging more women to become part of that community, that they're suddenly automatically an expert on international women's rights. They're not. And, and I don't think Diver's ever claimed to be that person. Diver is an expert on poker and she's building a feminine, a female-based feminine poker community. And I have no question in my mind about her integrity in that area. So, but Gigi cannot do both. I mean, if we look at the drive for this year only of International Women's Day, it's about calling out bias, all of us. So it's very, Diver's in a very tricky position there because she cannot call out Bilzerian's bias mm. at the same time as work for Gigi. She, I mean, maybe she will. I'd love to see it. And, and them have the balls to keep her employed and say, yeah, this ambassador's got problems with that one. And, you know, it's for them to fight it out. I would I would respect that. But, um, yeah, she, she is treading a fine line there. And um, like you said, difficult job. But I couldn't do it. But if anyone can, she can. Yeah, good luck to her. Well, finally, I want to give a shout out to Robbie Straczynski uh, and his show, The Orbit, that is putting out a show today with Lyndall Martin, Diva Byrne, who we've been mentioning, Rebecca McAdam, who we mentioned, and Force of Nature, Yvonne Montelegre, who I'm looking forward to hearing, give her opinions on that stuff. Big fan of Yvonne. She's a fellow Malteser here on the island. And uh, we've had many great conversations. Uh, I'm sure some of the conversations she has with Robbie and co will be overlapping. Uh, Robbie will also be hosting a show called Orbit Extra, continuing that conversation about women in poker. Uh, there'll be a post show discussion with Natalie Bromley and Cara Scott so I'm sure if uh, obviously you've tuned into us first because you wouldn't be here otherwise but then go give them a listen I'm sure it'll be great stuff happy International Women's Day to you both Uh, Dara O'Carney thank you as usual it's been really good fun having the chat we'll be back uh, in about two weeks with another show and of course the great the wonderful Kat Arnsby thank you to you too no problem see you soon thanks Kat see you David bye